It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Always an uphill battle fighting back from injury. Much love to all those who stuck by me, from my landmark family to the jazz fans and organization. I can't wait to be back out on the court with my brothers. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We're back with another of the season preview podcasts today. We've uh, knocked out a few of them so far, but this is, I believe, the first of the Western Conference teams that we're going to be looking at. And I'm going to start with uh, the Utah Jazz. And of course, to talk everything uh, about the Utah Jazz, I am joined by the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, the host of Locked On Jazz, the host of Locked On NBA, the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network, David Locke. David, good to have you on. It's great to be on your show. I've I've really enjoyed it a bunch. I appreciate you uh, joining the Locked On Podcast Network. You you're big time, man. When the minute you joined is when our phones started ringing, people trying to figure out what we were doing and why we were taking hosts from people and things of that nature. So uh, you moved the meter, and we're glad to have you aboard on that. It's a pleasure to be on your show. You got to give me the backstory though. I listen all the time. What's the story about the first quote? Like you always say it, you kind of leave it out there. I'm always wondering who it is or what it was. I, What's the story? I do. I, I always put it out there. Is, uh, I get people to try and guess who said it. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's not. Today's one, I'll, I'll give it. Today's one was Dante Exum. I think he posted it up on Instagram a couple of days ago with a few of his friends out there you know, just talking about getting back on the court. But some of them are a little bit more obscure and I have people try and guess who's, uh, who's, uh, who's saying that quote at the start. I leave them uh, ambiguous as much as I can. I like it. I got to watch Dante back out on the court today for a few minutes. How did he look? Uh, he looked all right. I mean, you can't really tell. They're in just an open gym. It's not very organized, and you know the coaches aren't allowed to be doing a lot of things. But um, he's big. I mean, that's – I guess the way I would say is I watched him out there, and there was just no question why he was a fifth pick of a draft. Yeah, he's, you know, a, will he's he, big. Will he be uh, – will he come fully back this year from the ACL? Will he be – a, you know, a, a top, you know, top five picks. Usually, three of them are dominating. Will he be one of those? I don't know, but you just look at him. He's six six. He's so long. He's got uh, a butt that he didn't used to have, and so now he's just. You can just tell he's big enough. If he, if he turns the corner on you, I think he, I think he gets all the way to the rim if he wants to. I don't know if he has the, uh, the athleticism to go up over the top. Uh, I don't know if he has the athleticism to power through guys or the strength, excuse me, to do that. Though, you know, we'll see over time. But but he, I, I remember watching him, uh, not to just give you a long answer out of the shoot and scare you to death, Josh, but uh, I remember watching him his rookie year pre-ACL. In practice, he'd go to the, he'd beat a guy, go to the basket, turn the corner on him, have the shoulder edge, and then he'd, he'd go up, he'd get bumped from behind, and he couldn't finish. And I'd go talk to him about it, and... And then he would just say, I'm just not strong enough. You know, I, I can beat a guy, but I can't hold him off. And so what actually happens is I beat a guy and then I'm off balance because they're fighting back. And in turn, you know, he then didn't ever really try those things in games. He now has that strength. He's going to have to learn how to play with strength because uh, he has that strength, that size, and he's now 21 years old. Yeah, I haven't seen him since before he tore his ACL, uh, and he was like he was obviously you know, looking pretty big there. But you said he's gotten bigger, yeah, and just more bulky, and that's that's obviously important for him. Yeah, it's important for him in terms of just rehabilitating from the knee injury as well. But being able to withstand the the rigors of an 82 game schedule and playing against men who are a lot stronger than he is, it's a it's a good sign to hear that. Now, when we start these shows, David. On, uh, on Basketball Monster, myself and Kyle and Matt, we ask three questions for each team. So what I'm doing is I'm taking those three questions that we've written up in an article on the site, 
and I'm taking it into the podcast guests and throwing it onto the expert for that team. So we'll start. We'll start with the three questions here for you. This one's a. I gotta. I have to interrupt you because I'm gonna keep asking you questions. You gotta tell me about Basketball Monster. Okay, so Basketball Monster is, in my opinion, and I hope everyone else's opinion, it's the number one site for fantasy basketball. We do projections. So I go through every single player in the NBA, project their minutes and all their statistics. Um, it's all mathematically based. Um, rankings and we have tools for analyzing trades and who you're going to add to your team how your team projects in standings uh, forums we put a whole bunch of stuff over there so basically if you want to succeed in seasonal fantasy basketball and daily fantasy basketball we project all those numbers out and help you build winning teams sweet the question we've got and this is an open-ended one it's there's a number of ways you can go but i want to hear your opinion because you're, you're closer to the team than i am obviously who'll be the best player on this team in three years Gordon Hayward will be the best player on this team. He's the best player right now. Um, I assume he'll resign uh, in Utah, and uh, he'll be the best player. I did, you know, again, I just saw these guys today all for the first time uh, the day as we hold this conversation, and I sat down with Gordon for a while today. He's bigger again. Again, I didn't think he could. And actually, talking to some of the coaches and the people in the organization, their comment was, "We, you know, Gordon's an incredibly hard off-season worker. We've seen that. He, he went from Doogie Hauser to a man, right? Yep. And uh, the the one of the guys said, I we didn't think he could amp it up, and he just took it to a different level than we have ever seen before with his work. And you know, there were a lot of reasons: the birth of a child, probably primarily some of the health issues, and that he didn't go to the Olympics." But one of the reasons he didn't go, and just in the list of things, but probably you know not as important as the first two I mentioned, were that he looked at it as, okay, well, if I'm the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th guy on this team, I don't get to play a lot. I don't can't maintain my workout. He's pretty regimented about how he wants to work and what he wants to do. He stayed in Utah all offseason, and he didn't want to lose that three weeks of training. And uh, that was a part of the decision of why he – if, if his obsession to getting the Utah Jazz to be a high-level playoff team. Now, at some stage during the offseason, there was some highly unsubstantiated reports of Haywood being unhappy and requesting a trade. Now, you can come out and, and categorically tell us that that's not true, correct? I, mean, I talked to Gordon about it again today, about just what crap it is when these stories go out that aren't true, and then the fact that the guy... You know, then it's not the guy misreports it, and then everybody else is too lazy to to deal with it. So they just go and continue to report the same story because oh, well, earlier this year, it's just not true. I talked to Gordon that night. I talked to our front office that night. I people I would they, the the people I talked to, somebody would have told me that there was something else. I talked to Mark Bartlestein indirectly that night. Um, it's just there was no truth to it at all, and th- there can't be any larger statement of no truth to it than Gordon spending the entire offseason in Utah for the first time and working out in the facility every day. I mean, like, Dennis Lindsay was great. Dennis Lindsay said to me, the guy's been in our facility for, you know, 40 straight days. That's not a guy who's unhappy with us. You know, I mean, if there's something wrong, we'd know about it. It, There was no validity to that at all. I don't know where it came from. And, and, you know, I would, I kind of feel like part of me wants to throw out the name of the reporter that came up with it, but the other thing is it's not just to bury him. Um, because I do think that that's all we have left in a day and age where anybody can put anything up. Uh, but on the other end, I think it's better just to not give him the credit, yeah. not put his name out there. I was going to say the same thing, that we should just just ignore who put it out because he does have a, somewhat of a reputation for um, for saying things that don't... Well, I, think John don't... Holl- I think John Hollinger dealt with him perfectly. Yeah, he did. That was, yeah, that, was uh, that was quite humorous. And I'm sure plenty of you know exactly who we're talking about. But I, I bring that up because people might be looking at Haywood and go, oh, he's going to leave, he might go to another team, his numbers might be depressed in future years, the Jazz might trade him before they get nothing, yeah, so they don't get... They don't get left without getting any assets back. That's just not going to be the case. That's why I wanted to throw that out there. So people don't have that concern that the Jazz are going to you know, move on from him at the trade deadline so they get something back before he walks for nothing. I don't think there's... Yeah, he's going to opt out, but that's got nothing to do with leaving Utah. It's to get the new contract. Yeah, I almost said Derek Favors, by the way. Yeah, I think I think in my um, answer I had Favors down, but it's pretty close. So, the, I mean, again, from being there, the word is that Favors turned... Switch that he had not turned before in off-season work, uh, and so you know it always has been so easy for Derek. And it's not as though he wasn't a hard worker. There's a difference between being a worker and then being just at the other level. 
And for Derek, really, he just it never has been difficult. He's just so incredibly skilled and gifted. And you can prove that it's clear he's worked. I mean, if you look at just his shooting percentage from 15 feet, it's gone up about eight percentage points every year of his career until last year when the back injury happened. Uh, but every evidently this year, he just really, you know, you know, I think he got asked the question, like, so what do you want? Like, do you just want to be a 16 and 8 guy for your whole career and just go down as a really nice player, make a buttload of money? Or do you have something else you're interested in? In, in doing and uh, it, evidently that resonated to him and he's decided he has something else he's interested in and hopefully for the you know for the Jazz fans if he takes another step holy smokes where, where does he take a step do you think can he be a 20 point a game scorer I don't know if on this team he could be a 20 point a game scorer I mean there's certain you know it's interesting I look at Rodney Hood and you probably know this better than I do Josh but I think his usage rate was about 21% last year which is really not very high um, and so you've got to assume that in his third year, his usage rate goes up. But you kind of figure George Hill's usage rate is going to be more than the point guards. And uh, not only Gordon's usage rate probably can go up much more than it already has, but Joe Johnson's usage rate is hopefully more than Chris Johnson's. And and so Trey Lyle's usage rate might go up a little bit. And you begin to wonder, well, what, then how does Derek Favors um, average 20 points a game? And, and also, I you probably know the number what is there's only about 17 18 guys that average 20 points a game i'm not yeah. sure if there's that i think there was 20 um, 21 last season maybe or something like that but it's around that it's not many it's pretty rarefied air so i i just think he gets better his footwork is just so incredible i think he just is stronger i think he has a better touch i think he finds a way to use his athleticism i also i think he and rudy have got to just figure out floor spacing so uh that Derek can move. I think uh, one thing I think we'll see out of the Jazz this year uh, is Derek playing the five with a small four and them switching one through five. And that small four, you know, I assume, is going to be they'll be looking at uh, Trey Lyles into that position alongside Favors, or it could be Joe Johnson. Could be Joe Johnson, and that's that's another thing I wanted to get out there as well. Cause we're, we've gone a bit off track, but that doesn't matter. We're just talking Jazz players. That's, that's what I do to you. Uh, hey, I, I do it to myself. Don't, don't worry, David. I, I get <laughs> I get completely lost in, in tangents because when Joe Johnson signed, people were like, "Oh, that's going to cut into what Haywood and and, and Hood are going to be able to do." I said, oh, "Johnson's not going to be playing at the two. He's a, a three and more of a four these days, given his size and his strength and what he can do." So I'm glad that you mentioned that he's going to be playing in that small ball four role because he won't be playing a huge amount of the two I don't think so did you catch the note by Zach Harper uh, of CBS Sports on open three point shots I saw it I saw something on it today it was so, about so I, Johnson I shooting it, it just tells you all you need to know about where the Jazz are going I don't know how it helps people in fantasy regards but so if you last year the Jazz shot 38% on wide open threes Yep. and 38.8% of their three point attempts were wide open threes and Hayward hit 40% of his, and Hood hit 40% of his, and Trey Lyles hit 40% of his, and Joe Ingles was 45% of his. And so, the, and so you're wondering, well, how can it be that the Jazz were only 38? Well, how will Neto, Shelvin Mack, and Chris Johnson? Neto shot 33% on wide open threes. Mack shot 33%, and Chris Johnson shot 28%. Okay. okay. None of those guys are taking a three this year. Yep, they're not, I mean, they're not even seeing the court. Mack still is, might play on some nights, and Chris Johnson's just a wonderful story. I don't know if he makes the roster or not. And Neto, the team loves, and he's gotten better, but I, I mean, he might be the fourth point guard. So, what do you, you're, you're fic, what, what Zach had this incredible is who are you replacing these guys with? Well, Joe Johnson, instead of Chris Johnson's 28%, Joe Johnson's shooting 39%. George Hill taking how old Neto's 33% shot 45% on open threes last year. Yeah. Boris Diaw taking I, somebody who didn't exist. Or, or, I mean, I, probably Trevor Booker, who uh, I'm not trying to be I, – I love Trevor, and I hate every time I have to say something poor about his game last year, but he couldn't shoot. I, I think outside about 10 or 15 feet, he shot 20% last year. Boris Diaw shot 39% on open threes. The other part of this is you now – and this is going back to where we were. I was actually getting back there. You now have five guys on the floor at times or four or five guys on the floor that are going to shoot – Nearly forty percent on open three-point shoot shots. So that gives how are you guarding that? Yeah, it gives the Jazz so many different options, and this is something like I at, earlier in the year I, uh, I had Joe Ingles on the on the podcast, and he was stressing to me that one of the things that Quinn wants is players at every position who can basically just do everything, who can handle the ball, who can pass, and that 
enables this offense to be really wide open. You mentioned now the shooting comes in, but all of these guys can handle the ball. Hood, Haywood, um, whoever's at point guard, Dante or, or, or George Hill, um, Joe can take the ball up, Derek Favors can dribble. We've seen Rudy Gobert you know, dribble the ball up occasionally. These guys can all take it off a, off a rebound, off a miss, take it up the court, and then they've got shooters all around. The, the, the offense becomes quite potent. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. It's stunning. And if you start going to play around with the numbers on what each of these guys are on the pick and roll and how they run the pick and roll, George Hill's well above average on the pick and roll. Rodney Hood's just fabulous. Rodney Hood's elite. Gordon Hayward's well above average. Uh, Joe Johnson's a good pick and roll player. The Jazz believe Trey Lyles can run some pick and rolls. Ingles is not dynamic in coming off the pick and roll as a threat, but he's He's not bad. We'll see what Dante can do. You suddenly have uh, numerous lineups where four of the five guys on the floor can run your pick and roll. And some of the thoughts of Joe Johnson and Boris Dia, frankly, can do it as well. So that's another guy. But start thinking about the idea that you're running a Joe Johnson, Derek Favors pick and roll with Hayward Hood and Hill spaced. Yeah, it's it's a I can't I can't wait to see them. And I, I remember, and this is something that happens often. You get into arguments with people on Twitter because I said that I agreed with someone who had the Jazz as a, as a four seed, and someone was like, "Yeah, what are you talking about? They didn't make the playoffs." Like, just look at look at what the team is. They've got depth all through the roster. They've got players who can do exactly what Snyder wants them to do, and what the NBA you know, what the, what means good basketball in the NBA? They've got players who can do that, so it, it's a really exciting time for fantasy. That might mean there's a bit of a squeeze on some of these players up. So, like you talked about favors before, and I said can be a 20 point score. You said not on this team, and that's your thing. You might see with with Hood, with with Haywood, with any of these guys. They could be bigger in different roles on different teams, but put all together, yeah, you know, some of their efficiency opens up, some of their passing and assist numbers open up on this team as well, just because of the way that the the team structures and the way that they set up all their offenses, I think. How important is it in fantasy to have guys that you know are just giving you solid numbers every night? It's very, so, it's very important. See, I think that's what, if you're drafting, and I don't play fantasy basketball, I'm not smart enough. I find it a very, I find it very uh, intellectually challenging to try to figure out all the categories. I'm just not smart enough to do it. I'm not, I'm not even joking. Like, I literally have just decided, like, oh, fantasy football is easy. Like, six points for a touchdown. I can do that. But all the categories, way too complicated for me. Uh... So the, but I would say if you you know if you're interested in the Jazz, I think you've got a bunch of guys that are going to be really close to every night to something similar. They'll probably have a few spikes. But I talk on my podcast, Locked On Jazz, a lot about bell curves, um, and I and that's really what you're expecting on most players is if you can get them inside their bell curve of performance. And I, I think the Jazz bell curves will be very consistent. I, I think you'll see guys. You know, one night maybe George Hill drops 18, but I think he'll be around 13 or 12 or 14 every night. And maybe Gordon has a night where somebody decides that they're not going to blitz him on the pick and roll and they're just going to play him straight and he's just going to kill you. Uh, he made two plays today when I'm watching. He's stronger. He made a baseline fadeaway on the right side that just used to come up short. You know, he just he came, stopped, popped, faded back to get the shooting window, put it up, and it went in. And it was just a shot I've not seen him make before. It's a shot that, you know, if you kind of go back to his, his move, when they, they ISO him at the top late in games, is he catches top of the key, he puts his left shoulder, and he just kind of bangs you, works you, and then bounces off that right foot into a fadeaway. And last year, for whatever reason, he couldn't get that shot the way he usually does. I don't know if he was injured or not strong enough or guys were defending differently. He's so big right now. He's so strong. He's going to be bigger than any guy that's guarding him. Unless yeah. he's playing the four, he's, he's going to be physically stronger and whoever's guarding him, he's going to manhandle that guy in, into the post and into the paint and step back. And then his strength, that shot looked easy today. And it was probably a 19-footer on the right baseline. 
you talked about their consistency. Like Haywood and Favors, they probably don't have much upside to go above what they've done previously. You talk about them getting better, so some of their efficiency might increase. But in terms of fantasy, they're guys that sit in the 30 to sort of 45 range, but you know that you're going to get that basically every night. And it is really reliable. At, at those early stages of the draft, I mentioned it on the podcast often, you want guys who just are going to give you the value that you expect at that spot. They don't necessarily have to exceed it, but they just can't go well below it. And if they give you the value of where you pick them, that's great. And that's what those guys are. Haywood and Favors in that 30 to 45 range. They're those guys that you get them and you just know that you're going to get that. And if you and if Favors goes from 16 and 8 to 18 and 8 and a half, then it's a bonus. But you know he's just not going to go down and have 12 and 6. That's just not going to happen with him. And that's it's a really it's a really valuable thing to have. Now you mentioned your Locked on Jazz podcast, David. You also do Locked on NBA. What have you got coming up on those two shows uh in the next next couple of days? Uh, we're gonna, we'll start doing working towards some previews on Locked on NBA. I might see if Quinn Snyder's willing to come on a podcast. Um, I had Terry Stotts on recently. It was good. Kevin Pelton. So I might see if Quinn will come on and do something. Uh, Locked on Jazz, uh, we're going we're gonna to walk toward the season. We're going to start doing looking into some other teams around the league with other members of Locked on Podcast Network. And then the week before training camp, we're going to do something kind of neat on the Locked on Podcast Network. Uh, we are... Uh, going to take the week before so what's that i think september uh 20th 20th or so 22nd or so at monday every show in the network's going to preview their point guard and tuesday every team's going to preview their shooting guards and wednesday every t- show is going to preview their shoot their small forwards friday thursday their bigs and friday their training camp um so if fans of the nba want to you know have a fantasy question about a given team and their position you can just go and know that monday's point guard tuesday's uh, shooting guards Wednesdays can be small forwards. There's also, by the way, a new uh, Locked On NBA channel uh, where you can just subscribe on iTunes and you get all the Locked On NBA shows. Uh, there's also a Locked On NFL channel. So those two things, I think, uh, hopefully will be good for people. Yeah, definitely. That I saw that channel come through today. So it's, it, all the all the shows put together into one uh, into one feed. Now let's let's go back to these questions. Rudy Gobert, from a fantasy point of view, was was a little bit disappointing last season. His he, I think a lot of it was to do with his knee injury, though, because he was a lot better pre-injury than he was post-injury. How do you see him this season? Does he return back to that sort of form we saw post-trade deadline in 2015, or is his lack of offense something that's going to persist? It's a really interesting question. Um... I'm, I, he's got to catch the ball a little bit better, and I think that was a knee thing, and I think that was a fatigue thing. I, the one thing we both, I think a lot of people forgot on Rudy and forgot on Rodney Hood is they were first-year starters. Yep. Uh, I, I'm never a fan in this league. One of the first things I do when I evaluate the standings every year when I'm going to do my picks and kind of look what I do, I go through every team and find highlight in their depth chart anyone who's doing a role for the first time. Okay. Yep. Because so last year the Jazz had Neto, first time starter, first time player. They had Rodney Hood, first time starter. They had Rudy Gobert, first time starter. They had Trey Lyles, first time playing. They had Chris Johnson, first time rotation player. Uh, and so you had, and I think they had one other, I can't think of right now. And so you, you just had two contrasts. Everyone's like, well, Portland's unbelievable last year, right? Except for Portland only had CJ McCollum doing something that they'd never done before. Yep. Noah Vonley had started. Ed Davis had come off a bench. Gerald Henderson had used to start, now comes off a bench. Plumley had started. Uh, Damian obviously had started. I mean, that Mo Harkless had started 140 games in Orlando, is now coming off their bench. So all of their guys, while they definitely had a larger role, what Terry did with them was amazing, they had all had their roles before. So when you look at Rudy, it's amazing how I actually remember what we were talking about. Uh, <laughs> When you look at Rudy, that was his first time ever as a starter in the NBA, and I thought that was clear, particularly after the injury as the season went on. I thought he certainly didn't have the bounce that he had in that short stint, and the question is whether – I think the question is going to be whether he does have that 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 bounce he had for 27 games with the Jazz two years ago. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe that's an unrealistic thing. I mean, he was so dominant during that period of time. That just might not be – something you can expect he wasn't great in the olympics either which i was a little surprised with now i didn't think they used him correctly so i'm not particularly worried about it 
Um, but he's going to have to, I think, just the little things. He's got to catch a little bit better, and he's got to rebound late in games better. The, the one thing that was really obvious last year for the Jazz was the fact that they were, they were a terrible defensive rebounding team late in games. One of their real problems of winning close games was they were a terrible defensive rebounding team. So that probably would be the biggest thing to me is he's got to get back to the rebounding that he was in that period of time. He averaged 11 boards a game last year. I'm not criticizing his overall board effort, but he, he can be better late in games. And that, I think, is just a fatigue thing. So I, I, think he'll, I think he'll be good, and I think he'll be better than he was a year ago. But I don't know if that 27-game stretch is a fair representation of what to ask. I mean, that, that was a converging on an all-star. Yeah, look, if he had kept those numbers up, that is almost all-star level. But what he did in the second half of the season when he came back from that knee injury, all his numbers were way down. His free throw percentage after the all-star break was 51. He was at 57 for the season. Now, 57 is not good, but 51 is a lot worse. His field goal percentage dropped from 56 down to 50 in that in that time, actually from higher than 56 down to 50. So much lower numbers. His, his rebounding dropped by a, a little bit it's not a huge amount but it, it wasn't he just wasn't the same guy now the free throw percentage is a concern for fantasy because he takes you know, quite a few attempts he was over four and a half attempts per game at 57 percent that means that category is basically it's all it's not quite deandre jordan andre drummond in terms of fantasy impact it's half the impact of those guys but it's still significant that you have to really concentrate on or just disregard that category can he be a better free throw shooter I don't think he can be much better in the six. He works awfully hard at it, and he, and he, you know, he clicks around 70, 75% in, in an open gym. Uh, I'm not sure that he can be much better in the 62 to 65% that he was his second year in the league. Um, but I thought that that kind of stuff, I mean, you know, he did do some interesting things, right? He, I mean, it sounds weird, but so he increased his free throw percentage by nearly 50% last year. I mean, his fifth free throws taken by nearly 50% last year. Yeah, he went. Right, he, he went from three point three to four point six. That's a huge jump, and that's in so, five extra minutes as well. Right. I mean, that's a big. That's a really big jump. So you suddenly start now. Let's flip this conversation around. If I'm a, if I'm looking at Rudy Gobert versus somebody else, I'm trying to take a flyer. Well, okay, he's going to be a second year start. This is where Josh, I can just start going crazy about the Jazz. Yep. Without making quantum leaps on any of these guys, not without having that, you know, sometimes you'll hear a local guy talk about his team, and you're like, okay, but that's great if that happens. But right, if I date, you know, Beyonce next week after she jumped dumps Jay Z after seeing me for the first time, like the chances of this are not likely. But what are the chances that Rudy Gobert, 24 years old, is bigger, older, stronger? What are the chances that Rudy Gobert, as a second-year starter, is more experienced? What are the chances that Rudy Gobert gets a little stronger and better and doesn't turn it over quite as much, holds on to it a little more, rebounds a tiny bit better, continues to grow as a free-throw shooter, suddenly starts taking five a game? Well, okay, he suddenly starts to take five a game, and he hits because the better players around him, so the floor spacing better, and he starts to hit 63 64%, and he, you know, because there's more floor spacing, he goes back to shooting 60%. Well, all of a sudden, now Rudy Gobert is a 12.12 rebound, 60% field goal percentage, 60% free throw shooter, and that's a pretty special player. And, and you talk about a guy that can then get you two and a half blocks with, you know, he's got the the upside to, to potentially have a season where he blocks three shots a game as well. And you talk about, you know, uh, the likelihood of things happening. All you need to do really is really go back to what he did before his knee injury, which is probably something he can sustain across the season, have marginal increases in areas there. And then in terms of fantasy, you can get him quite late now. Now, he's never going to be that second round player that people were looking at last year, which was a, a folly of a decision to, to get him in that early. But he's fallen down into the 50s and I think that you know getting him in the 40s it, it oh, I, th I think he can finish around that 40-ish mark if those things start to improve and I think they can so I think that he's uh, turning into this season and a lot of people David in fantasy have uh psychological not issues but mindsets and they'll go oh I drafted Rudy Gobert so high last year never touching him again so therefore he falls way down below where his actual value is and that will make him into somewhat of a sleeper this season because all those things you mentioned him getting better coming off the knee injury and just natural improvement of a guy heading into his second season as a full-time starter all these things make his value go up whereas other people are looking at him as being on a downward slide when that really yeah, couldn't be further from the truth well wings usually jump year two to year three and bigs usually jump year three to year four. Rudy's entering year three to year four, but his first year only plays 430 minutes. So I'm not sure whether he's jumping in year, 
if he's in the year two to year three or year three to year four, if you know what I'm saying. Yep. Uh, that first year is almost a wash. So it'll be interesting. He's got, he clearly has another jump in his career. When that happens, I don't know. Now, we're going to talk about a wing a bit later on that's going from year two to year three. But I've got one more question here. Um, Trey Lyles on ESPN Fantasy, they've got him ranked as the 65th player, which is, is ludicrous to me because that would mean that he'd need to be playing 32 minutes a night. There is there is no way that he's getting that sort of a role, but he's he should be absorbing a lot of Booker's minutes this season. Why isn't he playing that much? You think he's getting 32 a night? The only reason I would say no is because I think Joe Johnson and Gordon Hayward could play some four. Yep. Um, but I think Trey Lyles is going to be a 15 and 6 guy in the league. Easy. Easy. This, this season or at some point in his career? At some point, and I think it could be now if, if, someone, if he had the chance. I'm a massive fan of Trey Lyles, and I, I, mean, I, I think he's going to be I, really I, good. Right. I mean, I'm saying easy. Oh, yeah. Like, he... Now... That also means he could be an 18. I don't know if he'll ever be a good enough rebounder. That's, you know, he's going to have to rebound to stay on the floor. That's going to be, he's got to be a little better rebounder for his position probably um, than he was last year. Uh, but, I mean, he finished the year, I think, in about the last 24 games or so, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. But my memory is he's about 10, 11 points, 12 points a game, shooting 45 and probably somewhere around 38 from three. And had a high usage rate. I mean, he wasn't kidding around when he was out there. And I don't think he rebounded great, but that's in 20, 21, 22 minutes a night. I mean, I probably should have had those numbers more prepared. But start. So, I mean, if he goes from 21, 22 minutes a night to 30 minutes a night, he does very quickly go to 16 and 6 and somehow. And and he's pretty good. I mean, I just think he's going to be a terrific player. It's, It's a. You know the Jazz have a lot of wealth in that that area on the floor. I I I do think the question is how much Joe Johnson plays the four, whether or not that impacts Trey Lyles, and then do they put Trey Lyles and Boris D? If can Trey Lyles and Boris Diaw be successful on the floor together, would be uh, another question. So I think you're probably right, Josh, that he doesn't get those minutes. I just kind of wanted to see why you thought that, uh, but I would also say. There might be a point in time where he, you just can't keep him off the floor. Yeah, I, I think the exact same thing that he's gonna. I think it probably doesn't come until next season that he's just so good that he has to play these minutes. And the the last month of last season, so the last fifteen games, he played twenty two and a half minutes. He averaged eleven and a half points, almost five rebounds. He was at one and a half threes a game, and he hit those at thirty nine percent. And he got 0.7 steals a game in in those twenty two minutes. So we know that he can put up really nice numbers. But in terms of getting him at pick 60 which is what is happening on uh, ESPN at the moment there's no way he gets to that unless he's playing 32 and if he's getting 32 that means to me that yeah favors or Gobert has gone down with an injury for him to do that. and and then then by all means it's it's open season on grabbing Trey Lyles because he's going to be a, a really good player and he's going to demand playing time at, at some point um, in, in the pretty near future now the, the Jazz's draft David it wasn't all that interesting they did have the 12th pick which they traded for George Hill the actual guys they selected in the draft Joel Bollenboy a power forward out of Weber State uh, with a 52nd pick Marcus Page a point guard from North Carolina with pick 55 and then Ty Wallace the point guard out of Cal with the last pick now Bollenboy and Page have both signed Bollenboy it appears is going to make the final roster do you see any difference to that? No, I think he's got a real chance, and they virtually, I think that first year may be all the way guaranteed. Yeah, so, uh, uh, so I, I think that, he, yeah, he does make the roster. They have hopes on him. I think he had some other opportunities as well, particularly he's European-born, and so that allows, you know, that could that gives him a chance to have uh, uh, better, you know, opportunities to play in Europe than, than other people do. So I, I think that that... Uh, he he he'll make I think he'll make the roster. Be, I think it'd be a real stunner if he didn't uh, take the, you know, make it at this point. Marcus Page I think is unlikely. He he's gonna have to get a lot stronger to play in this league. Uh, so he'll go down to the D league. But the D league's hard on small point guards. If if you follow the D league at all, I don't think anybody's playing fantasy in the D league. But if you kind of look, most of those point guards are Sheldon Mack type point guards, and and that's t- that's gonna be tough on a, on a youngster like Marcus Page, who I, I is one of the most impressive kids that I've ever talked to in my career. Um, but he he's going to have to get a lot stronger. 
what, what do you what do you make of uh, look? Well, Bolland Boy is a guy we're going to see for Utah this season. What do you make of his game? Look, what what are his strengths? He's just a great rebounder, incredible athlete who's still young in the game and developing. I think he'll spend most of the time in the D League, trying to figure out whether he can be an outside shooter. I'm I'm not sure it's clear where he uh, necessarily where he fits or how he fits, but I um, I do think that you'll see. You know, I, I I think you'll see him mostly in Salt Lake playing for the Stars. That's that's why they got that franchise is exactly for players like him. Yeah, he's he's an uh, an energetic rebounder, a guy that that goes up there in a sort of a a Kenneth Faridi type of role. He, he can shoot a little bit better than Farid, but he's a that's what he is. He's an he's an energy type of big who's not going to have a huge amount of an impact this season. We've talked about Joe Johnson already. That was basically the Jazz's free agency is getting him. We've talked a fair bit about Joe. He's going to be in that backup role uh, in the wings and, and playing the four. He was tremendous in Miami after being bought out by Brooklyn. He hit a stack of threes. It's probably not realistic for him to hit that same percentage, although over the course of a season, who knows in his new role whether he does it or not. Um, he's, he's a key, key piece for the Jazz, isn't he? Yeah, what is your thought on this? Because I'm really mesmerized, and the more I kind of analyze Joe, I get more excited. And so uh, what I look at and I see here uh, with Joe is the fact that you have a guy who should, shouldn't should have been the lead dog anymore. He had crossed yep. over. I talk about 35,000 minutes of a player's career. They start to fade, and at 40,000, they're really not capable of leading anymore. And so he's on the wrong side of that. Uh, and so he was in Brooklyn. You, he, they're making him be the lead guy. He, he cannot do that anymore, and he was not good at it. And frankly, looked disinterested. Then he got to Miami, where he suddenly became the third or fourth option and was terrific. So what? Who, which guy do you get in Utah? Do you get the old, what looked like an old, worn out, uninterested Joe Johnson, or do you get this energized, youthful, eighteen to twenty minutes a night off the bench? Uh, with less role than he's ever had in his career. I think, you know, one thing that's going to be interesting on him is he's started every game pretty much he's played for the last 12, 13 years. And now all of a sudden uh, we're going to think, you know, we're going to see that he, uh, what what he's able to do um, as a bench player and if he can do it. I mean, Jeff Hornacek used to talk about that there was a moment in time where he suddenly walked, he came to the arena and realized how he played wasn't going to impact the night, and it was really, really hard for him to stay engaged when that was the case. And we'll see how Joe Johnson is able to react to that. Well, Johnson, obviously, uh, you know, in signing with the Jazz, he knew the sort of role that he'd be taking on with his team. So I assume that he's you know, relatively ha- happy with playing that role. And you mentioned, look, in Miami, he shot 52% from the field. He shot 41% from three. And over the course of the season, he was just at 44%. So it's such a significant jump. I think there was a big stretch in Brooklyn where he was under 40%. But in that reduced role where he didn't have the pressure on him, where he could be the third guy behind behind Wade, and then there was Dang, and then Dragic, and Bosch when he or Bosch didn't actually play with him but when he had that reduced pressure he he knocked down shots and he's a guy that's you know been unfairly criticized throughout his career because because he signed a big contract which is just a ridiculous reason to criticize someone but he can hit shots and when the pressure's off him he's going to be a key piece for this team but you mentioned that 20 minute role that's going to render him useless for most fantasy formats because that's sort of what he's going to be doing is just coming in and being key he might close games for this team when they because you mentioned their struggles in, in closing out close games last year and that's something that he has excelled at throughout his career so he might close games but in terms of him getting 30 minutes it appears that that's sort of done for him in this league what do you close with with this team yeah, I don't know. This it's so hard to work out this rotation. I I think that there'll be times when they go when they go small and they play only one of Favors and Gobert and they get Johnson onto the court in that sense, but I, I don't I don't know how they how they run it all. Or maybe they put Haywood at the at the two and get Johnson out there and play Favors and Gobert. That's I, I don't know. They've got a lot of options. And you playing Exum and Hill? It's fall at JCPenney. Time to refresh your closet. This Thursday through Monday, get Levi's lowest prices of the season on 514 straight fit jeans for guys, $36.99. And select Arizona booties for her for $35.99. Plus, save an additional 50% off clearance prizes already reduced by 60 to 80%. And get an extra $10 off with your coupon. Hurry in now. JCPenney. Come valid 10, 5 to 10, 9. Levi's and other brands excluded from coupon. Clearance elections vary by store while supplies last. Savings off regular and original prices. Intermediate markdowns may have been taken. See store or jcp.com for details. Season refers to 927 to 10.18. Playing just Hill? I think you play. I think you probably play Hill to close the games, but I guess it depends on how Dante looks. It's interesting. I mean, 
Here's what I here's how why I think the Jazz are really good, and this doesn't help fantasy at all. But I think Shelvin Mack's a decent player. Okay. I think Jeff Withy's a de- pretty good player. Yeah, I think Withy's good too. And I, and I think Joe Ingles is a pretty good player. Yep. That's the eleventh, twelve, and I think Howell Neto is a decent backup. That is eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen on the roster. Yep, and you're gonna have guys like Alec Burks that we haven't even talked about him. Like, where does he even fit in now? I think he's. It's gonna be really interesting. I, he's got to psychologically break through these injuries, right? He's just been injured for so long. I would assume he's gonna come back as a very different player, uh, and I don't know whether how he deals with that and whether he can deal with that. Uh, and you know, if he doesn't play with particularly on this roster with the amount of scoring they have, if he he he's always had a weakness that he's struggled to make other players around him better. What he can do is just terrific, and he's a far better catch-and-shoot shooter than anyone realizes, even, I think, himself sometimes. Um, he's just such a good catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, corners, but also above the break. And he, you know, he, I think he thinks he's so much better in the rhythm of a bounce, and sometimes he's been hard to play with because you don't know where he's going with the ball. And if you don't know where he's going, then you don't know where to space. And... If he doesn't solve that, I could see scenarios where Joe Ingles plays ahead of him. Yep, oh, I can I can see that as well. And suddenly, you know, if you have George Hill, Gordon Hayward, Joe Johnson, Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors on the floor, and you're looking for another wing, I'm not sure you want Alec Burks dominating the ball driving. Maybe you do want Joe Ingles on the floor who's moving it and passing it and is one of the best corner three shooters in the NBA. I mean, we, we refer to the right corner three of Joe Ingles as coming from Happy Valley because that's where he grew up in Australia. Yep. And it's like he owns that place. He's at home because his numbers over the last two years, and I could probably dig it up somewhere, on, on that corner three I think are close to 60%. That's it. That's crazy. Now we, we talk we talk about Burks. Uh, I want to I want to transition this into um, Rodney Hood because you know people will say oh, Hood's going to have his minutes reduced because Burks is coming back because Johnson's coming back and and I look at it and I say I, I don't think so. Hood to me is a, an upper echelon prospect. He's probably not even a prospect anymore. He is a key piece of what the Jazz do and a lot of people don't realize just how good he is. How good is Rod Hood? He's terrific. He's really terrific. He's one of the best isolation players in the league. He's one of the best pick-and-roll players in the league. He's one of the best catch-and-shoot guys in the league. Uh, he can get where he wants to on the floor. Uh, he, he's he got a pace and a uh, to his game that reminds me of Brandon Roy, uh, where he's not you know this crazy athlete, but he just understands where to go and get to. He has spots on the floor. If he gets to him, you're dead. And uh, that, to me, is really where he is at his finest, uh, he did not play particularly well post All Star break. No, he didn't. Um, and he, you know, one thing on his development is again, he was a first time starter, and so you know, you can get really worried about him playing not great after the All Star break and decide that that's going to be who he is. Or you know, here's a guy who gets stronger and works hard in the off season. Uh, I don't, I haven't heard any reports on what he did. I, he's such a dedicated, good person. I can't imagine him doing anything else. Uh, and so you you look at him, and now all of a sudden he understands the game a little bit better. And the one note about him is he had more games last year uh, with scoring under 10 than he did over 20. Uh, and so that, I think, is is a little eye-opening on who he is, that he and, – and maybe more of just a sign, not of who he is, but more a sign of what he needs to do to develop, right, that – if he can start getting rid of some of those nights where he's way off, well, then all of his numbers kind of, you know, really will turn up. He's got – his issue is a little bit that he he just has some real stinkers of nights. He could lose you a fantasy week all by himself. Yeah, he, he did that a little bit towards the end of the season. But he's a guy – and these sort of players are key in fantasy as well, is that he plays at the two and he's you know, he sometimes in some leagues will have small forward eligibility, but – he handles the ball. He can get you three assists. He can have you nights where you get five or six assists. He gets a steal. He hits two and a half threes. He can he can drop in 
you know, 20 points occasionally. But that, the consistency's got to come there, as does his efficiency, because his field goal percentage hasn't been all that high in his first two seasons. But he's primed, as you mentioned, heading into his third season. This is where big things start to happen for players. Is he your breakout candidate on this team, or is there another option that you've got? Oh, I think Trey Lyles is still okay. the breakout candidate. Um, again, you'd have to, you know, you know these numbers and the impact better than I do. Um, but I, I mean, Rod was pretty good last year. He was. So I have a hard time trying to, like, if Rod, if Rod's breaking out, what, what was he? Fifteen, three and three last year. Is that about right? Um, I'm just bringing it up now. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. You know, so I mean, he went from nine to fifteen or nine to fourteen and a yeah. half. Or I mean, I think I'm rounding up on both those. Yep. Uh, I mean, I guess the, so. The breakout is he goes to nineteen again. I, I, yeah. Here's the thing, and I know this doesn't necessarily relate necessarily to fantasy. So, if somebody breaks out, aren't they great? Yep. I mean, if somebody breaks out, they have a chance to be the. the they're going to give San Antonio a real. A real battle in the two-three matchup in the West. I, I I agree that they're a real chance to push into the, yeah, you know, at least the second round, maybe the conference finals. I think they're a real chance at that. I mean, and that's what someone someone's got to break out. When I look at this team, what I what jumps out to me the most, and I don't know, and I, maybe this is relevant fantasy wise, Josh, in the sense that you you shouldn't plan for a breakout without without any outlandish comment. Okay, so here's. That, that George Hill is an upgrade over Howell Neto. Yep, I don't think anyone could argue that. And that Dante Exum will be an upgrade over Trey Burke. Yep. And that Rodney Hood should be better in his second full year as a starter mm -hmm. and as a third year in the NBA. That Joe Johnson is better than Chris Johnson. Mm -hmm. That Rudy Gobert will be better in his second full year as a starter. Like, none of these things are crazy. Right? Yep, exactly. That that Boris Diaw will be better than Trevor Booker. That Trey Lyles should be better in his second year as an NBA player. That if the Jazz have injuries, their backup guys we talked about already are Shelvin Mack, Joe Ingles, and Jeff Withy to step in, which is better than what they had a year ago. Like I didn't we didn't have a single player do anything there where anyone listening said, Well, I don't know about that. That's kind of what my point was earlier. Like, usually you hear the local guy say, well, I think I'm not – he didn't necessarily – I'm just giving Sean a hard time. But Miritich is, like, going to be incredible. Look, yeah, and you're kind of like, eh, let me really see, right? You you don't have to do that with a single player on this roster to have them be a really good team next year. Yeah, then if you add in – like, the one I just start giggling about, what happens if Dante's good? Yeah. Like, not average. What happens if Dante turns out to be good – by January, February. Yep. That's it's such a huge piece to be able to bring off the bench and you know, play along because he'll plays he'll played the last season and probably the last three seasons, ex excluding the one where George was injured as an off ball guard most of the time anyway. So they can they can play off ball. He can hit forty percent of his threes, George Hill. And if Dante's there providing you know, defense and he gets his shot to start to work as well, then they can, they've got so many different lineup options that they can, uh, they can throw out there, really. If I had to take a fantasy breakout player, yep. and I don't entirely understand fantasy, but if I had to take a fantasy breakout player, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, Josh, I would take George Hill. Okay. So first of all, anybody the year after they had to play with Monte Ellis is happy to be with some other teammates. <laughs> yep. Somewhat sarcastic, but... No, no, that's exactly his usage rate just completely disappeared last year. Yep. His numbers when he was on the floor with Monte Ellis versus off the floor with Monte Ellis were stunningly different. And if he's a forty-four percent three-point shooter, spot-up shooter, he's going to get plenty of those if Gordon and Rodney have the ball. But also, let's go with him coming off a Derek Favors pick on a pick and roll. With Gordon on one wing, Rodney on the other, who are you coming off of? Yep. So so now George is playing off a of pick and roll in space in a way that he hasn't necessarily before. So if I'm going to take a fantasy player, and, and let's remember one other thing about George Hill, how, how absolutely fabulously good he was just a year ago when Paul George was out and he did have a usage rate that was, you know, 
up in the upper t- mid 20s and was a guy that was using the ball. I mean, you go back to his per 36 numbers in 14 15, he's a 20.5 rebound, six assist guy per 36 minutes. And last year, he becomes a 13 4 and 4. I think he's going to be an off a lot closer to 14 15. George Hill than he is going to be 15 16 George Hill yeah look it's a it's a staggering difference between what he did when George and Alice weren't there versus what he did last season you you mentioned he seven extra points per 36 minutes almost double the assists he got more rebounds he hit more threes he got more steals he shot three percent better from the field he had a better free throw percentage he was more involved the only thing he didn't shoot better was from the three but everything else he did was better so he's definitely taking a step up from last season where in in fantasy last season he, he wasn't great because he just wasn't touching the ball now the thing I worry about him a little bit is how the minutes break out this year. He played 34 minutes a game last season in Indiana, and with with Exum around, does does Hill get to 34 again? I, I'm not so sure he does. So that's the that's the risk on the pick, no question. But that's why I think he's available. No, oh, he's he's definitely available pretty late, right? Like yep. I think if if you're drafting in fantasy and I'm looking at guys, I'm taking a flyer there. You here's I would suspect. Go back to his his 12-13 year. Yep. That's a pretty good team in Indiana. His usage rate was about 22%. I looked at him just recently, so I think I'm – actually, I think it was lower than that. I think it was about 19%, right? So he's not even using the average amount of possessions as a guy on the floor at the time. And he in that year, he averaged 14 points, four rebounds, and five assists. That's also when he shot his career. He shot right about his average at 37% from three. I think he'll shoot better than 37% from three because there'll be a ton of space on the floor. And he's playing with guys that like to move the ball. And I, I, I think he's got a real chance to be a 14-4-4 four four guy for the Jazz. Now, the Jazz are a low assist team just a little bit because of their personnel. But if he's a 14-4-4 four four guy, uh, is that, what does that do for you in fantasy? It, it puts him in that sort of mid to late round area, but he's got significant scope to to improve on that, depending on exactly how the Jazz utilize him and how and how they do they run him more like 2014-15 Hill, or do they play him with the ball in Haywood's hands a little bit more or in Hood's hands a little bit more? Now those guys aren't Paul George and Monte Ellis, but they still do have the ball in their hands to a degree. Not that Hood has a huge usage, but they still do you know run the ball through their wings a little bit. So that that puts a little bit of a cap on him, but there's a, he's got a real chance to to take a significant step forward over what he did last season, and the minutes is the only. Thing that that worries me, but when you get to those last rounds, you're know, grabbing a guy like him at say 90 if he's a, if he's available, they're grabbing him, and then they say, well, we're going to run him 34, 35 minutes because Dante's not ready for it. Then his numbers skyrocket to be potentially a top 50 guy. But if he he plays only 30 minutes because Dante's playing 22 minutes and they're playing together for a couple of minutes a night, then that puts a cap on what he can do. Or what happens if some nights he plays 34 because Dante takes none at all? Yeah, and that and on and those nights, the yeah. there's no reason I'm asking Dante to play 82 games this year. I think I don't think there's any chance that Dante plays 82 games. The, he did in his rookie season. There is no chance he he does it this year. There's no there's no as you said there's no need for it. They can put Mac right. in. They can put Neto in. They can put any of these other guys in on a back to back, especially before we head head to Christmas as well. Right. I mean, just early in the season, you go to San Antonio on the first, and you play home at Denver on the second. I'm just Dante's at least in my book, Dante's just not playing that day. Yep. And you go to New York on the 6th and you play the next day in Philadelphia and he's, t- he's taking that day off. He's playing in the ninth. Like, he's just not... Like, I don't know any of this. I'm making this up. But I, I'm just, why would I play him in a, when I have four point guards in the roster that are all good? Why would I play Dante Exum in a back-to-back early in the year? Like, I just can't imagine that. Uh, but the, here, play around with lineups. Here, here's another one for you. So let's say Dante's good and George Hill's good. Who says you don't close with Dante Exum, George Hill, Rodney Hood, and Gordon Hayward with either Favors or Gobert. Yeah, that's well, that's look, we know that Haywood can play the four in those short stretches. It gives them tremendous amount. Look, the defense they've got there with those two guard positions is tremendous with Hill and Exum there. You got shooting with Haywood and Hood and Hill. Um your, your team's fast, the ball can be handled by four guys on that team. There's and, and they can sort of match up and say, "Oh, what's working today? What's the opposition doing? We've got multiple ways of doing it but that's that's def- I can't see anyone saying yeah that's a stupid lineup because that that makes complete sense I, I think it's fab I, I think it's 
it's so exciting to watch with this team. I, 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 from a fantasy standpoint, I would guess that it might be a little frustrating yes. to try to figure out some of these things. Um, and there are no answers, and I think it'll have a lot to do with matchups, and I'm not sure that one night will be consistent one night to the next. And Quinn coaches with such confidence that I don't think he'll be a one who coaches scared to make uh, any of these moves, which would, which would yield you to, excuse me, yeah, yield you to believe that he is, that maybe it's even more inconsistent than you'd suspect. Yeah, there's that. That is the concern with with fantasy in a lot of. The, I don't think that Haywood or Favors has got any concern. I think Gobert's going to have value as an undervalued sort of player. Hood's a, a great late round guy, same as Hill. Um, but there's just a little bit of uncertainty with not not uncertainty, a, a ceiling on some of them because they're not going to go out there and do say like what Minnesota did in the second half of last season or what Milwaukee did and just play these guys 38 minutes a night or 40 minutes a night like we saw with Giannis and Middleton in Milwaukee where Jason Kidd just went, cool, you're our guys, just play every minute that you basically can. The Jazz, there's no, they've got playoff aspirations and they've got no need to do that with the amount of players that they've got. So that puts a ceiling on what, on what some of them can do, but they're still... And a team like Utah is not a nationally recognized team in terms of um, casual fans so a lot of their players do slide under the radar so when you look at teams like Cleveland none of their players ever slide under the radar the Lakers the same thing although that's a little bit different this season but a lot of these bigger teams they the players don't they don't come at in undervalued the Jazz happens all the time that you can get these guys that slide down because you know, that people might not see them as often. People might not understand how good Hood can be or, or how good... And Hill goes from Indiana to Utah in a similar situation. People don't understand how good George Hill is. And, and I think that Indiana took a step back in in replacing Hill with Teague. And obviously Utah you know, got, a, got a big jump forward in what they can do. So there's a lot of value to be gained in other people not necessarily being as switched on to what the team is like. So I think you're going to have to really look at one thing if you're if you're drafting somebody fantasy-wise on the Jazz. So the Jazz last year had this weird thing where they led the league in passes and were last in the league in uh, assists. Yep. And I don't think that happens again. Maybe it does. I mean, our offense has a lot of movement that yields to that a little bit. But I don't think that happens again, which might mean a slight uptick in everybody's assist numbers. Yeah, because Haywood took a step back in his assist. He'd been a five-assist-a-game guy, and he took a step back. But if he gets an extra half an assist, and then Hood gets it, and Hill gets that increase as well. The other thing the Jazz do is they play at a ridiculously slow pace. I think they were, were they 30th in the league in pace last season? If they weren't, they were they were pretty well, close I, to it. I don't think anyone was anywhere close. Yep, yeah, they, were, they were way, way down in pace. So they even pick up the pace a little bit then all the, everyone's numbers rise again. Like, they, they were so far down that list. And uh, is there any indication they might play at all faster? Well, George Hill played very fast last year. If you look at how many possessions George Hill used in transition, maybe it's because he knew if he gave the ball up, he would never get it back. But uh, I, I would also... So that, that was a little... You know, that definitely was something that might be able to pick it up a tiny bit is the fact that he... He is doing that and did play a little bit faster. So maybe we'll see that type of of jump uh, for speed. I don't think Quinn – it's hard. I don't think Quinn necessarily wants him to play that slow, but I also don't think he doesn't – he minds it, if that makes sense. Yep, completely. Um, I think we've covered pretty much everyone on this roster now, David. Now, one thing I will get you to, to um, answer me before you leave is – a bold prediction for this, and we've we've spoken about them, you know, challenging the the Spurs in a two three matchup for a, a conference final sort of position. What's your bold prediction for what this team does this season? Oh, I think that would be my really bold prediction. I think my my bold prediction is is that a bunch of guys get considerably better, uh, and and I don't even think it's outlandish, but that Rudy and Rodney, as we've talked about, are both better in their second years as starters. That. Uh, from the work, it sounds as though that we have seen the likes of Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors put in that they're that they're better. Uh, that Dante comes back and has an impact, and some of this team is every bit as good as the Clippers in San Antonio. I mean, it, it, the the thing that holds me back when I talk about this team is simply that they've never won an important game in their lives. Yeah. Um, now they finally have somebody in the locker room who at least has a resume, right? They, they've never had anybody in the locker room that they can even turn, you know, Boris Diaw might be playing badly, but he can at least tell the guys, hey, shut up, I've done this before. You know, Joe Johnson has got a, you know, a computer role of 
old school computer roll of paper running behind him if you want his accomplishments. So I, I think that those, and George Hill, frankly, has that. So I think those guys' importance is enormous in that regard. Um, and I think that that can't be underestimated. And again, it's why I think you can get crazy optimistic about this team, but it's also the one area where you have to have the reality check that just they have never done anything like what we're talking about. But the parallel that I see uh, is the Atlanta team of two years ago. Uh, I think there's a real chance that that's who they become. Oh, look, I, I've got them projected as the fourth seed in the West, and I, I agree with basically everything you said. I'm so super excited to see this team, um, to see guys like Exxon return, to see the guys take a step forward, just to see George Hill in a different environment. There's so much excitement with this team, and you're in a, a great position to obviously see it, David, uh, around the team, calling the games. Thank you for uh, for coming on. Take, thanks for taking the time to come on and uh, and give us your thoughts on the Jazz. My pleasure. You do a great job on the show. I hope people will... Uh, add Locked On Fantasy Basketball to their subscription list and uh, tune in. Uh, frankly, one of the things I love about the show is while there's a fantasy insight to it, you're there, you've always been every day, this is nothing new to you, and you just do a nice job of covering the league top to bottom. And so I've always uh, really enjoyed listening to you uh, just cover the game. I don't, As I said earlier, I don't play fantasy, but it doesn't mean I, I don't listen to the show because I think you guys have such great insight into things. Yeah, there's plenty of people that listen to this show that don't actually play fantasy, which always surprises me when people message me. That's how I don't play fantasy, but I still listen, and that, I, I really appreciate people doing that because people might think that there's no correlation between real-life basketball and, and fantasy, but it's all very much intertwined, and it's just taking real-life play and looking at, players personalities and coaching systems and then translating it into numbers but that's all it is and i reckon half the time when i speak that's not necessarily fantasy specific anyway but it, it can all be turned into that sort of stuff so i appreciate you saying that david of course everyone can follow you on twitter at locked on sports um and we've touched on a million times subscribe to whatever locked on podcast that uh, tickle your fancy all the nba ones there's the channel for the nba uh, all the nba teams together all the nfl teams the individual ones of fantasy nfl the locked on nfl with matt williamson um of course david's flagship locked on jazz and locked on nba there's plenty of podcasts across this network and you would have heard with all the guests we've had on the quality that these guys have is, is tremendous so i do encourage you guys to subscribe and leave reviews, leave rankings. Uh, five stars is great, and it, it helps all of us get the show out to more people, and the quality therefore improves as well. The guests improve, everything improves. So thank you to everyone who has helped out with that so far. David, thank you once again. My pleasure. No worries, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.